Lessons from Luke. We are looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, that would be fine. And uh, as we do with uh, the book of Luke, we've got to start with a limerick. And so here we go. Once above the tree line, Christ Jesus began to shine. It was Peter, James, and John who had been invited on as witnesses to this sign. All right, and as we read our text, you will find out what we're talking about in the limerick. And so starting at verse 28 of chapter 9. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe began, uh, became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were uh, parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here and let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. <clears throat> and while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, and Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Well, that's a pretty amazing experience that Peter, James, and John had. We're going to call this message just simply transfigured. Transfigure, what does it mean? Uh, Merriam-Webster in the dictionary, transfigure, a change in form or appearance, metamorphosis, an exalting, glorifying, or spiritual change. And so <clears throat> that definition, what does it remind you of? Doesn't it remind you of a caterpillar that... that turns into a, a, like this worm-like creature with all these legs and wiggly and, and, and that creature turns into a beautiful butterfly. Doesn't that, what, doesn't that definition remind you of that? And, and it's what I think of in an article describing uh, chrysalis, chrysalis, chrysalis. Um, uh, uh, Kristen Van Leerde explains in order to be able to become a butterfly the caterpillar has has to fall apart completely decompose down to its very essence devoid of any shape or consciousness it literally dies did you know that those little cocoons right caterpillar makes a little cocoon wraps itself up in that little mummy like thing and it completely dies there is literally nothing left and from this liquid essence, the butterfly starts to put itself together from scratch. Isn't that crazy? 
That's what metamorphosis is. That's what, that's what transfigured is. That's what change, that's a change. And when it emerges, that what used to be a little wiggly caterpillar, a little crawly thing and it, that you like to step on and get rid of and, and ich. Oh, by the way, here's another one. This one's for free. Ooey gooey was a worm. A mighty worm was he. He crawled upon the railway track, the train he did not see. Ooey gooey. Okay, that, that, that's for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> talking about, <laughs> I digress, okay. Talking about caterpillars. Is the caterpillar afraid to build the cocoon knowing that it will die there? Is the caterpillar afraid? Does it like its life? confined to crawling and climbing and working hard for its food. Does it like that? Does it know that if it would just be patient that he would become something that is freer than he's ever experienced before? That change. If he would just be patient and just wait for it and let it happen. John doesn't share this experience in his gospel, but Mark and Matthew do, and they both say that Jesus was transformed at the top of the mountain before the three disciples. The word transformed is translated from the Greek word metamorpho, um, which is metamorphosis, right? That's meaning change, right? This word is only used twice more in the Bible. Paul uses it twice. He uses it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 where we read, Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed. There it is. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. So be transformed, right? And then it's also used in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. All of us, gazing with unveiled face on the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so there we have, I, I like to look at that as those two, putting those two verses together, transformation or change, <clears throat> means that Paul says in Romans that uh, be transformed, and that's a command, that we should be transformed. And so, that, so we need to cooperate and we need to work towards that end, Right? And so that's our part, be transformed. In other words, cooperate with that. And the other one is the Holy Spirit is actually doing the work in us. We are being transformed. And so be transformed, and we are being transformed. And so there's a, there's a great connection between my will and God's will, and that's working together to transform me. Well, I've got five things I want to talk about. The place of prayer, the transfiguration, the out-of-towners, the veiled voice, and the transformation. And so the place of prayer, first of all, um, 
This is what Samuel Chadwick says. He says, prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. That's what prayer does. Jesus says, Luke, went up to the mountain to pray. He went up to the mount. He went up this mountain. It's an unnamed mountain. We don't know from Scripture which mountain it is. But it's at some elevation. And they went up there. Jesus went specifically to pray. Did he bring his disciples to pray with him or to witness what was about to happen? Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had asked his disciples to watch and pray. Although Jesus was apart from them and praying alone. Right? They were to be praying at the same time. Right? Supporting Jesus in his ministry and in his suffering. They were to be praying with Jesus, but they could not stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here too, on this mountain where Jesus is transfigured, we find again that the disciples just could not stay awake. They were just too tired. I, maybe the mountain was higher than 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 then we know maybe it was a high mountain maybe it was it took all day to get up there but they were tired they were heavy with sleep uh, now this revelation of glory this transfiguration didn't happen when he was healing the sick it didn't happen when he was casting out demons it didn't happen when he was feeding the hungry. It didn't happen when he was raising the dead. This transformation, this transfiguration happened when Jesus was praying. Does that speak to you? That change is possible when we're praying. When we begin to pray that God can change us. That we are, we are being changed at that time. Jesus spent a lot of time praying. When the Holy Spirit was received at Pentecost, what were the disciples doing? They were praying. When Peter was miraculously released from prison with the help of an angel, what was the church doing? They were praying. And when Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into the inner prison, and the guard was told, you better watch these guys because it's your life. What were they doing? They were singing and praying. They were praying. Change happens when you pray. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality He's been through weakness and testing, experiencing it all, all but the sin. And so let's walk right up to him and let what he is so ready to give take the mercy, accept the help. This is Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 from the message. This is talking about prayer. The New King James Version says, Let us therefore boldly come to the throne of grace that we may re obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Coming to the throne is praying. Come to God's throne in prayer, right? 
<clears throat> now that should be enough that should be a, enough of an incentive to remember to pray but let you uh, let me give you five reasons um, that prayer should be up a notch on our priority list okay here's five reasons number one God tells us to pray God said be I mean th- through um, Paul he said be joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in prayer that's Romans 12 12 uh, the command to pray is is actually everywhere in God's word we are we are commanded to pray talk to God pray who would argue with God well don't answer that because we all do don't we we all argue with God no I don't want to do that no that's too hard for me no come on God Let's do something else, right? We, all of us, we all argue with God and God's word. But the simple truth is that God is so in love with us that he desires this intimate relationship with us, which includes communication. He wants us to talk to him, and he wants to talk to us. And that happens when we're praying. And so that's why God says that we should pray. Well, the second reason why we should pray is that because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed all the time. Not only did Jesus pray regularly, but he made it a priority. He would get up early in the morning before anyone else got up, and he would go and pray. Uh, And to, to spend time with his father, getting up in the wee hours of the morning. And, and his disciples saw this, and one day in Luke chapter 11, I think it is. Um, he said, can you teach us how to pray? Because they were watching. They were watching John had taught his disciples, and they were watching Jesus praying, and they wanted to know how to pray. And so Jesus prayed, we should pray also. Number three, is there, any, is there a better way to talk to God? Is there a better way than through prayer? This is how we do it. When we pray with our Bibles open, then God speaks to us through his word. It's a two-way conversation, remember. And so God speaks to us, and we speak to God, and we're, we're communicating and having wonderful fellowship together with our Lord in prayer. Um, number four, prayer is a spiritual weapon. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in spiritual and heavenly realms. That's Ephesians 6 and verse 12. You know, how foolish it would be to enter the battle, and we're all in the battle, by the way. We're all in this spiritual battle. How foolish, if you think about a physical battle, if you think of the, the, the crusader days, how foolish it would be for those guys to put their armor on and leave their swords and shields back on the table and run into the battle. How st- crazy. I'm, it, okay, stupid. I, I'm going to say it. It's stupid. It's dumb. That would be so dumb. And so for us believers in Jesus, why would we leave prayer on the table? Why wouldn't we do that? Because it's a spiritual weapon. Number five, answered prayer is a powerful testimony, isn't it? When 
when, when we're, we're asking, when we're pleading for God to, for healing for somebody that's sick and, and God miraculously heals that person, it is a powerful testimony. And you know I had COVID like a year ago, right? And so many people prayed for me. I, even by my bedside, praying, laying hands on me. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. In a coma, right? But God healed me. God answered prayer. What a powerful testimony that is. Beautiful. Roman, Revelation 12, 11 tells us that it is by the blood of Jesus and the power of our testimony that the enemy is defeated. Answered prayer is a testimony when we declare that to others and therefore a powerful weapon to defeat the enemy. We, we are encouraged and others are encouraged also when there, are, when there are answers to prayer. When we say, yes, I prayed for you and, and look at what God has done. That's a powerful testimony. Well, let's look at the transfiguration. While Jesus was praying, his appearance changed. He was transfigured. Uh, Worsby says transfigured describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. It is the opposite of masquerade, which is an outward change that does not come from within. Woost expanded translation reads like this. The manner of his outward expression was changed before them. That outward expression coming from and being truly represented representative of his inner nature. In other words, what Jesus was on the inside was visible on the outside all of a sudden on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was glorious. It was the light that, that, that darkness cannot comprehend. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying for, but the implication is that this transfiguration is his father's answer to his prayer. I like that. What I'm reminded of is when Moses asked God on Mount Sinai, can you show me your glory? That's what Moses asked God. God said, I can't do that. Nobody can see my face and live, right? But I can show you the, my backside. That's basically what God said. I'm going I'm to pass by you. And Moses hid in the cleft of a rock, and God put his hand over him as he passed by to protect him. And then Moses looked and saw the back of God. Like just... But this is what... You know, they saw Jesus' glory. Years later, John saw the glorified Jesus again. He describes this in the book of Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters it's revelation chapter one wouldn't it be something if someone wrote about uh, about well put your name here right pastor doug prayed and he was transformed he was changed 
because he prayed. I don't think it's such a stretch. When you pray, when we take our conversation with God seriously, we are changed. It changes us. Well, let's look at the two out-of-towners. <laughs> I call them out-of-towners because, like, they're from the past, and um, they've been gone for quite some time. Now, as Jesus was transfigured, two men stood with him. They weren't from this world, at least not anymore. It, and um, now, I don't know if they knew, uh, if the disciples knew for sure, or how they knew who they were. Because Peter said, uh, they, they were talking together, and Peter said, hey, you know, let's make some tents or tabernacles, some shelters for Moses and Elijah. And so somehow they knew, maybe it was instinctively they knew who they were, or maybe it was God's spirit, how they knew that this was Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they recognized them. Maybe it was through their conversation that, that they kind of figured out who they were. But two things I want you to notice about the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Uh, first, uh, what they represent and then what they were talking about. And so they represent, first of all, um, this was a highlight to the past, Moses and Elijah, because these were past great men of faith in Israel, right? These were two people that were taken. Now, there were two people that were taken up to heaven that didn't experience death. You know, there was Enoch and there was Elijah, the two two people that were taken up to heaven. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Okay, is it possible that, that Elijah and Enoch could have gone up to heaven and not experienced death? Well, I think it is, right? Because Christians, those when the rapture happens will be lifted off the earth. We will not experience death, right? We will be changed, though. We will be changed, and I think this is what happened maybe to, to uh, Enoch and to Elijah. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living, okay, not experience death, but we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. Moses did die, yes, and God himself buried him in an unmarked grave. Uh, now, you kind of wonder, why didn't God just take Moses up to heaven, Right? without him dying. And, well, I, I really don't know the answer to that, but Moses, because of some leading the children of Israel faithfully for 40 years, had, had fallen short and was told that he would not enter the promised land. And so God buried him himself. He went up to the... And, and although Moses was healthy, Bible says he was healthy, he could see, and, and he was... It's like he, he was a healthy man for 120 years old. It was really quite miraculous, but he experienced death. Now, the reason I think that nobody knows where his grave is is because they probably would have made a shrine out of it. 
right? And they would have worshipped there. The children of Israel would have worshipped there. And all of a sudden, Moses, you know, grave would have been more important than worshipping the Lord, right? The easiest and most likely reason that Elijah and Moses appeared is because they represent the law and the prophets. Moses, the law. Elijah, the prophets. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he was explaining why he had to be rejected, why he had to experience death, why he had to rise again. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Well, not only did they... um, not only were they highlighting the past, okay, that the law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled what was in there, okay? Not only did these two highlight the past, but they also highlight the future. Jesus is coming again to receive us to himself, to judge and to rule. Malachi talks about this future time. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before that great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That's Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. So what were they talking about? I, I can imagine. It, it's like all we have is and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That's all it said. That's it. How long was the conversation? I'm not sure. The disciples were sleeping. They were asleep through a lot of it, right? And then, and then they woke up, and they, and they were amazed at what was happening. Can you imagine the conversation? Though, we know that they talked about Jesus' death and that he would be successful at accomplishing this death at Jerusalem. We know that that's what they talked about. I can't help but think about Jesus' last words on the cross. His mission complete. It is finished. Right? That, that it's done. It, 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 and it's, it's like paid in full. That's the literal translation. It's a paid in full. Moses might be so excited to understand what's about to happen, he had instructed the children of Israel, after all, to kill an innocent lamb, one that was spotless, and to take that blood and put it on the side posts of the door and the mantle, on the the top, the the door jamb, and, and then the angel of death would pass over that home, and they would be safe. And Moses might fully understand what Jesus was doing, that Jesus was shedding his blood. And through the cross, because the blood was shed, that we are saved. Moses might fully understand what was going on now. Maybe he didn't understand before, but he sure does now, as they talked about Jesus' death. And Moses, you are the Lamb of God. This is, you're going to accomplish this. This is finally the center of all history is about to happen, Jesus. And they might have had that conversation. This, is, this representation will be fulfilled in your sacrifice. Jesus was unable to share these details with any of his disciples. 
because they just full, they didn't understand. As a matter of fact, Peter tried to stop Jesus, tried to scold Jesus, tried to reprimand Jesus. Jesus, you're not going to do that. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. And then Peter and then Peter says, "Oh, when they finally woke up, it's so good for us to be here. Whoa, this is awesome. Let's build some tents. Well, let's look at the veiled voice. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. This is how I see it happening. The disciples had been sleeping. Suddenly, they were very aware of something supernatural happening. They were aroused from their sleep. As Moses went toward the burning bush, the three disciples ran up close to see exactly what was happening. Peter, not knowing what to say, sticks his foot in his mouth again, begins to speak about setting up shrines, exactly (laughs) exactly why Moses' body was never found, I think. And God comes down, covered by a cloud, again, similar to what Moses experienced when Moses said, show me your glory. God comes down in this cloud. And, uh, and then the voice of the Lord comes out of the cloud, and the disciples are just terrified. They're afraid, and they should be. This is no ordinary cloud. Let me read this from Exodus chapter 14, 19 to 20. And the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went before them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was this cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. The word cloud, Shekinah. This is the Shekinah glory. No wonder the disciples were fearful. They were being consumed by the Shekinah glory. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For the last couple of years, we've ex- all of us have experienced a lot of veiled faces, right? Have you gone to a restaurant? Even, even there's still some restaurants that have these, that that have these, you know, separation between when you're ordering at a fast food place. They have this separation there, right? And half the time you can't understand the person because they also have a mask on behind the separation, right? And and so these we these veiled faces. And, and when they're talking through the, through the mask and through the, through the separation, and you just can't understand them. Well, they had no trouble understanding God. God was clear and God was loud. They understood every word clearly. Now, I want to... Trans- uh, there are different translations here. The New King James says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Most other translations have a phrase added, my chosen one, in there. This is my beloved son, my chosen one, hear him. I believe this is, is connected to the word accomplished, what he was about to accomplish 
in Jerusalem. He is my chosen one to be sacrificed for you. My chosen one. And so not only were the disciples to witness Jesus' death and resurrection, but they were to hear and understand what it all meant. And they were to hear him because it would be their responsibility to pass it on. Well, let's look at the transformation then. When the voice had ceased, and Jesus was found alone. Jesus was found alone. I love that. When everything else is gone, there's Jesus. When everything else is gone, there's Jesus. Now, there's no doubt that the disciples witnessed the transformation of Jesus. They witnessed perhaps the glory that Jesus had willingly left behind when he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and came in the likeness of men. But they were also being transformed themselves. As a matter of fact, they couldn't tell anybody of their experience. That would have been a tough secret to keep, wouldn't it? come down the mountain with Jesus and all the other disciples that didn't get to go up there with Jesus and see this and experience that and they had to keep it to themselves hey you guys like what happened up there um yeah um hey I'm hungry (laughs) what changing the subject they couldn't tell. Matthew's account tells us they, as they descended, Jesus instructed them that they shouldn't say anything until he'd risen from the dead. And so they did keep it to themselves, but it's certainly something they couldn't forget. And uh, Peter shares his testimony in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. It goes like this. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. It's Peter, I mean, how could they forget such a thing, right? The disciples were transformed. Peter testified. So did John. We beheld his glory, John said. But I'm convinced that what made the difference in their transformation was that they continued to see Jesus alone. Only Jesus. Was it easy? No. Did they have moments of relapse? Of course they did. Were they afraid to die? Likely. How about you and I? Are you happy to live your life as a caterpillar? Crawling through life, a steady diet of foliage, all tasteless stuff. Have you tasted leaves? It's not very tasty. All tasteless stuff that the world elevates as completely wonderful. There's something better. 
A butterfly's diet is much different. They get to eat sweet, sugary nectar from beautiful flowers. And they don't have to crawl either. They can fly. So in order to be able to become a butterfly, the caterpillar has to fall apart completely, decompose down to its very essence, devoid of any shape or consciousness. It literally dies. There is nothing left of it. And from this liquid essence, the butterfly starts to put itself together from scratch. The problem is, is that we like to cling to what we know. We like to crawl around as caterpillars do. Even if it's unhealthy or even if it's making us miserable, what it really amounts to is the tasteless stuff of the world is elevated. John says that we shouldn't love the world or what's in the world. We have to choose. We have to allow the old world that's inside of us, our habits, our beliefs, our fears, our footholds to die and disintegrate, to come to nothing. But isn't that scary? Uh-huh. Of course it is. It's terrifying. And that's why the image of the butterfly is so perfect as a symbol of transformation. It has nothing to do with a cozy nap inside of a time capsule, followed by a fluttering of delightful, delicate wings. It's all about surrendering yourself, dying and disintegrating until there's nothing left. Nothing whatsoever. Nothing left of you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And he will put back together you and you will merge with wings and you will be transformed. Father, thank you for your word for us today. I thank you for the disciples and their experience of the transformation. Not only did they see Jesus transformed, but you transformed them. We can be transformed also when we see Jesus alone. Help us by your Holy Spirit. Amen.